surgery, so my delivery may be a little bit different than I typically uh, do. I usually get a bit animated, but uh, I'm not going to today, and it uh, hurts my face to um, move it too much, so I'm going to try to keep my head still. So I'd like you to overlook the delivery and listen to the words of this message. I'm sure everybody is aware that it's June, and in our society that's called Pride Month. And unless you uh, don't follow religious news of any sort, uh, or if you do, then I'm sure you're aware of the the, um, sexual abuse scandals that have come out in the Southern Baptist churches. And both of these things had me reminded of uh, the Corinthian church. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 is where I will uh, take the text today. But what we need to be aware of is that our enemy Satan is not concerned with persuading us not to bother with many of our Christian activities. In fact, he's perfectly okay with you going on about your business in the church. But what he is concerned and determined to persuade you to stop holding to is absolute truths in the church. He wants you to be comfortable believing that the nature and the character of God and his kingdom do not hold absolute truths for you. Understanding this, Paul warns this church in Corinth not to wander down that slippery slope of ungodly behavior or allowing it to thrive in the church, or even the thought that ungodly behavior is somehow acceptable, even if you aren't the one participating in it. But he says in verse 9, Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see in today's churches this, what Paul is exposing. We publicly see where ungodly living is not only acceptable, it's now called right through some twisted lens of Scripture. We see pulpits mocked with transgendered ministers and homosexual ministers. We see churches openly encouraging the LGBTQ plus community to be who they are, stay who you are. We've seen churches cover, hide, and even excuse sexual sins of adultery and abuse. And these are characterized somehow as mistakes or lapses of judgment. Instead of calling them what they are, sin. We've seen for years extortioners and tricksters masquerading as a minister, fleecing the people of all of their money, claiming that God is blessing them. These things are not only out of place and unacceptable, they are sins. They are sins and therefore, excuse me, they are not acceptable in God's sight, nor can they be excused in His assembly of saints. Our text says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, of course, we may say, but who are the unrighteous, we may ask. Well, Paul expands on who the unrighteous are. He says here that they're fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, 
effeminate abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Just a note here, the, the effeminate and abusers of mankind, that's two Greek words, malakos and arsenokoitis, which are just two terms to describe homosexuality. But he gives a list of who the unrighteous are. The issue was that the church in Corinth had started to accept these things as somehow okay in the church. They were even drunk at the Lord's Supper. They had sexual immorality and impurity in their midst. But what was happening is that they had begun to normalize sin. They were excusing sin and they began to accept sin. Paul deals them a fatal blow here to their modern society mindset. And yes, it was modern society then, thousands of years ago, and we see it here today in our own modern society. Don't you know? Don't you understand that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? No, he's saying. None of these things are to be found amongst the people of God, amongst the household of faith. Modern society and culture do not dictate what is and isn't acceptable amongst the people of God. We, the church, do not change with the times. The author and the finisher of our faith is who we take all of our guidance from through the indwelling of the Spirit, through the preaching and the teaching and the reading of His Word to us. But still we see sin we see it pushed in our faces. It's all in society. We see it everywhere we look. It's on the radio. It's on TV. It's in our entertainment. It's in the department stores. It's in the grocery stores. It's in our schools. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our workplaces. And sadly, we see it in our churches. So we must face it. We must acknowledge it. We must acknowledge that it is here and present with us, and we must speak to it. We must be speaking truth to a lost world. If you're taking notes, that can be your title, speaking truth to a lost world. So how are, how are we as a church to communicate with, to deal with, to counteract these fallacies that we see in our churches and in society? We look here at the example of Paul and of his mindset towards the sins and towards the church. Paul describes the wickedness that had become socially acceptable in Corinth. This city was a, a bustling commercial center. It was a melting pot of, of races, of creeds, of languages. As a culture, though, it was ruthless and immoral. In short, it was much like America today or most modern societies and modern nations that we see. So how did Paul go about in his witness to them? Well, in Acts chapter 18, he went to Corinth with a certain strategy. He was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Acts 18.5 tells us. But after the Jews would not hear him, and he spent many of the Sabbaths in the synagogue teaching to them, and they would not hear him. But after they would not hear him, he went to the Gentiles, testifying the same message. He didn't change his message for the hearer. I'm going to give this message to this group and this message to this group. He had the same message and the same strategy to simply preach Jesus Christ.
Christ, the Messiah. His objective was not to go to Corinth, to go get involved in the politics of the day, to go help enact some new type of legislation, uh, to change the culture. Nor was it to ostracize and never speak to those who were performing uh, this whole list of debauchery that he lists here. His object, his aim, was to pro proclaim Jesus to a lost world. Why not demean the sinners? Why not publicly shame them and embarrass them out of their sin? Or why not try to get politically involved to enact new laws to make these things illegal? I would love to live in a nation where some of this stuff was illegal, but those methods hold no power, no power over sin. They cannot change a heart of stone, and they cannot change it to a heart of flesh. They can't open blind eyes, and they can't make the sick whole. You can make homosexuality illegal, but all you're getting at is the fruit not the root of the sin. You can outlaw fornication, but that doesn't get to the heart of the fornicator. There is only one thing that can do this, and that's the power of Jesus Christ. Only that power can take men and women lost to sin, lost to shame, and make them sons and daughters of the Most High. There's no depth of guilt to which someone can plummet. There's no amount of humiliation someone can feel that puts them beyond the reach of God's forgiving grace. And I ask in all sincerity today, do you really believe that a radical change can take place in the darkest souls? Do you truly believe? Can God change the transvestite? Can he, ha can he open even their eyes? Can he? Do you believe it? Can they truly be changed and transformed through him? We often act like people can have a partial change, but then we expect them to struggle along through this life, half sick, half whole, limping along. Where's that message in the scriptures? It's not, isn't grace transforming? Doesn't grace have power to reach to the lowest pits? To bring anyone out complete and whole into the light? Is there any soul that is too lost to be found? Is there anyone that is too sick to be made whole? Is there any heart that is so dark that it cannot be brought into his light? Grace, grace is a medicine for the sick. Grace is a quickening for the dead. Grace is a pardon for the guilty. It's a freedom for the slave. Grace is a giving of sight to blind eyes. Honestly, have you looked at this culture? The LGBT. Q plus community, and have you thought? They are a hopeless case. They are a lost cause. We look at them with disgust, with sadness, with sorrow, that there is no hope. But God does not. God does not look at them this way. 
He in all of His wisdom has chosen even some of them before the very foundation of the world. And He will not let them go and He will not rest until their eyes have been opened to Him. Doesn't Romans 8, chapter 30 tell us, Moreover, whom He predestinated, them He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. I tell you, there are those that the Lord resolved to call that are part of the LGBTQ community. And they are not too lost for His mighty hand to reach and grab them from their pits. Who can think like God? Who would be so patient? And who would save such wretched? Micah chapter 7 verse 18 tells us, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. Even this world the drunkards, the charlatan evangelists, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the transvestite, and all other sinners may be as hard of heart as the Israel of old, but the softening of the hearts may still come. The Lord knows that they cannot change their own hearts, they cannot cleanse their own nature, just as you and I could not change or cleanse our own. But He also knows that He can. He can do so. And God is gracious. Therefore, sinful people are forgiven. Sinful people are converted. Sinful people are purified. Sinful people are saved from their sins. The work of the Lord is perfect. But it begins. It begins where the sinner is. And it deals with them there in that wretched and low place. That's where it begins. He didn't come to save anyone because they were worth saving. But because they were completely worthless and wretched and ruined. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For when we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly, that's the unrighteous. That's you and I. He laid down His life for you when you were not believing. Nor when you were able to believe. He died for you not as a believer, but as a sinner. He came to take you from a sinner to a saint. But remember that when He died for you, you were completely weak. You were completely lost. You were completely wretched. Yes, yes, we, we know. I was a sinner, but I wasn't that. I wasn't a homosexual. I wasn't an adulterer. I wasn't a transgender. I may have been lost, but I was pretty close to the light when He found me. No, you weren't. None of us were. We were nowhere near the light. We were in utter darkness when He found us. Maybe we thought, they are really lost. They are beyond finding. There is no one so lost as to be beyond His reach. No one. Maybe the thoughts have come in our minds that say, man, they're disgusting. Would he really stoop so low as to even grab them? Yes, brothers and sisters. Even the transvestite. He will stoop 
down low to take all of his people whom he has called out of the filth that they dwell in. Turn back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we, we look to verse 11. We read, And such were some of you. Brothers and sisters, the people of God, those that are his chosen people in a royal priesthood, come from all walks of life. The cultures that he mercifully saved us all from are nothing short of astonishing. The depths of sin that his almighty hand has reached down for us is nothing short of miraculous. The filth, the grime that we willingly lived in, it was astoundingly sick. And yet he lovingly reached down into that filth and grime for you. Some of you here today may have been the fornicator. Some may have been the adulterer. Some the idolater. Some of us may have been swindlers and extortioners. Some may have been the drunkards and the revilers. Some of you here today may have been part of the LGBTQ community. But he reached for you. And he brought you forth into his light. We cannot allow self-righteousness to creep in amongst us now. We must remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Oh, the power, the power of his salvation to save such that are so lost as you and I. The grace that he has for us. Such were some of you. Such was I. A sinner in desperate need of salvation. But Paul doesn't leave us there. He says next, continuing in verse 11, But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Church, None of these sins listed here are okay. They're not. None of these sins listed here are justifiable. None of them are acceptable. None of them, none of them are to be looked over. We're not to excuse them. We're not to glaze over them in the church of God and in His living temple, which you are as you read further into this chapter 6, that you're the living temple's don't let modern culture convince you that it is somehow okay, that it is somehow enough to say that I believe in God, but not to turn away from our former lives of sin. The excuse of I was born this way does not somehow make it okay to stay that way. Brothers and sisters, we were all born sinners. Every one of us was born in some sinful way, with some sin nature with some inclination to sin. We were all born that way. It's not better to say that you're born with a quick temper, so therefore you can continue to be quick-tempered. It's no better to say that you have always been inclined to lying or whitewashing the truth, so therefore it's okay to continue to lie. It's not okay to say that you have sexual urges that are natural, so therefore it's okay to act on your urges in pornography 
or fornication. None of these are okay. None of them are acceptable. Scripture tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist your urges of sin. Don't excuse them. Don't accept them. Fight. Fight against them. They are the old man and we are to be putting on continually the new man through the washing of the word. Our text, verse 11 says, He has washed you. He has bathed you. He has made you clean. He's cleansed you from the stench of your former life, not to continue to dwell in it. He has made you clean. It also says He has sanctified you by separating you from your former life. He has consecrated you to Himself, called you to be holy as He is holy. You're no longer part of the ungodly. You're no longer part of the lost. You're no longer part of the fallen people. You're now dedicated and wholly His. But what of my former way of life? What about my former way of living, we ask? What if I was an adulterer? Doesn't my sin still stain me? What if you say I was gay? Or I was a transvestite? Wasn't I so desperate that it's still going to haunt my soul that my salvation could be unclear? God forbid you are justified in Him. You're rendered, you're declared righteous in Him. He bought you with a precious price. He called you His own and He has washed you. The dirtiest of sinners, whiter than snow. But we must acknowledge that your former life of adultery or homosexuality or drunkenness may have consequences still on this earth that you have to live with and you have to deal with. Sin harms. Sin destroys the body. But by the mighty grace of God, it can never devour your soul. Not the souls of the righteous. Nothing can be laid to your charge because He has paid that price. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, because He has bought you and made you wholly His. So brothers and sisters, all those sin once controlled us. You're not a slave to it. But yet we still see it thrown in our faces around every corner. We see it everywhere we, everywhere we go. Don't get accustomed to it. Don't get used to it. Don't let it wear you down into accepting it. Resist it. Don't excuse it. Call sin what it is. Sin is a, an offense against a righteous and holy God. And it is never okay, never to be condoned, and never to be overlooked. But I want you to remember that there are those who are living out there in sin today, right now, that just may be someone who God will call. That may be someone who God has yet to have opened their eyes, but He will. Can you be a messenger to them? Can you see that you were once them? And what is that message 
that you would say? How will you reach them? As I said earlier, there's no legislative agenda that can redeem culture. There's, There's just not. There's no laws that can change mankind. There's not. Pushing the sinners away or refusing to talk to them because they're beneath you or the sin disgusts you, that's not going to help them either. They need to hear a message. There's a message sent from God to redeem men and women. And it is simply this. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, as Paul preached. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They desperately need to hear a message of truth from someone. But they need it spoken in grace. The gospel, the gospel is God's agenda for this world. He uses the power, He uses the conviction of His word to speak into people's lives today just as He did in the days of Paul. It is the same Holy Spirit, the same power of the Word that opens blind eyes today as it did 2,000 years ago. That power is still here and that message has not changed. And it is the power to completely change and radically transform lives. Paul didn't have elaborate rhetoric. He didn't didn't have some special oratory skills. He didn't even craft some crafty gotcha statements to get people. He didn't hold his nose high and look down on the sinners around him. He knew what he used to be. And he saw himself as the chief of sinners. And with much humility... With much meekness, he remembered his former self and he still had one message and he kept saying it again and again. And he knew that only Christ's atoning death can make it possible for men and women to be set free from their controlling sins so that they can walk in a newness of life, as Romans 6, 4 tells us. We the church... We must understand that sin is perilous. Sin is dangerous. Sin must be rooted out of the church. It cannot, it should not, it must not be found among us. But when it is, we as the church must be there to warn one another, to reach out, to pull one another from the danger from the sin that stains us. But we must do this in a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of meekness, as Galatians 6.1 tells us. Not in self-righteousness, remembering who we ourselves were, what our former state was, but with much love, much gentleness, much meekness and humility, we're to approach one another and we're to call out sin. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That is how we're to treat sin in the church. But what about sin that's out there in the world? How do we deal with that? Well, the world needs to hear 
that sin is perilous and that sin is dangerous. They need to hear that their sin is not okay, that they are not okay as they are. They need to hear the message of the gospel. But will they hear it when you say it to them? I tell you, this gospel message sounds forth just as loudly today as it did to the church of Corinth. It cuts through. This word cuts through the deceptive reasoning of this world. The the word does not give place for sin. And it does not give place for sinners to remain in their sins. The great need of our lives, the great need of our society, of our cities, of our nations, is for sinners to be radically changed. The great need is for salvation. Don't be deceived into thinking that the sin does not matter. Don't be deceived into thinking that what your society needs most is anything other than the news of the kingdom of God. They do not need to hear that they are okay. They need to hear Jesus. Will you be able to give them that message? Can you point them to the church, to the word as a church? Can we with much grace speak truth to a lost world? Now I understand that there is a time to walk away. There is. There's a point when a hardened heart will not hear. And a time when we need to shake off the dust and walk away from people. But I ask you, do not turn away. Do not shake the dust off until you have fervently prayed for them. Until you have genuinely reached out to them. Until you have earnestly tried to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't pretend that we care and walk away when we haven't even tried. Earnestly pray for lost souls. Fervently pray and witness to the LGBTQ community because they need Jesus just as much as you did when He found you. Don't shake off the dust until you have shown them the love of God that is in you. I tell you that beneath these facades of self-identity and all these masks of finding themselves and free happiness, there are those that are desperately crying underneath. There are those that are desperately trying to find their identity and they will keep seeking new identities until they find the only identity that can satisfy. And that is Jesus Christ. Don't abandon them. Be there to lead them. Show them the way. Be there to pick them up from their pile of tears and regret and remorse and repentance. They will need you. They will need you, the church, to be that guiding hand out of that dark world that they are currently in. So I ask you, can you with much grace speak truth to this lost world?
Let's pray. God, 